Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 12, 44 through 50. Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day, for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his command is eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Well, believe it or not, we have now been in the book of John for two full semesters, for the fall semester and spring semester. We started back in August, and we are wrapping up chapter 12 this morning. And so for those of you that have been with us uh, so far in the book of John, I'm curious if someone were to ask you this afternoon, okay, so what have you learned so far in John? Or maybe another way of asking would be, what's a summary of everything that's happened so far in the book of John? If you were asked that question, what would you say? Well, I think the awesome thing with how uh, this chapter wraps up, and ultimately this is wrapping up the um, public ministry of Jesus, uh, is Jesus ends with a summary of everything he's been saying so far. So he bottom shelves it for us. And so this is actually a great place for us to stop in the book of John. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing a special commissioning Sunday for our Cincinnati team and global team. And uh, you should definitely be a part of that. That'll be a lot of fun. But then this summer, we're actually going to jump into the book of Proverbs. Uh, so we'll be in Proverbs this summer. And then we will pick up John 13 again in the fall but again, this is a great way to end this chunk of John because we're going to get a summary of everything we've seen so far. And so as we talk through the summary, I'm going to reach back and pull out different verses and passages along the way to help you kind of connect the dots all together. So if you haven't turned there yet, please turn to John chapter 12. Uh, I just want to read the first couple of verses here. It says, Jesus cried out, the one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. So, so John, as he's writing this, he starts off by reminding us why the Jews wanted to kill him. The Jews didn't kill Jesus because he was so loving or because he was so tolerant. The Jews killed Jesus because he made himself equal to God. Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you believe in the Father. To see Jesus is to see God. Jesus has been saying this all throughout the book of John. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, and I'm going to show you a picture in a second. But before I do, I just want to say, as we talk about the Holy Trinity, there is no perfect analogy illustration or drawing that I could produce for you or anyone could produce for anyone else to perfectly describe the Trinity, 
right? It, it is, there's an infinite knowledge to the Trinity of God and only God can fully understand. But we can all, at the same time kind of piece together some truths to help us understand God the Father, Son, and Spirit. So, so this picture was helpful for me. In it, you see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all God, right? The Father's God, Son's God, Spirit's God. But at the same time, the Son is not the Father, the Father's not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the Son. So we'll say things like, God is three or uh, one in essence or being, but three in persons. And in each three of the persons of the Godhead have a distinct role. And you go, well, what's a distinct role? What's maybe one of the differences? And I say, well, go back to verse 44. The one who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. The father sent the son. The word sent is used three times in this passage. That is a difference in role. The father sends the son. And, and the son wasn't sent on a rogue mission. He wasn't a disobedient son. He was a faithful and righteous son sent on a rescue mission for sinners like you and like me. So they have a difference in roles, but make no mistake, Jesus is God. 100% man, 100% God. We don't believe that in like Jesus or God. We believe that Jesus is God. Where do we see this in God's word? We've seen it all throughout the book of John, but let me go outside of John just to prove you, even outside the gospel of John, it speaks to this. Colossians 1 says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him, all things were created. He's also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is God. He is the image of the invisible God and God put all of his fullness in and through Jesus Christ as Jesus created the world and then reconciled the world to himself on that cross. And we have to say this because I do think a lot of people today will say things like, I believe there's a God or I believe that there's a higher power out there. And what John has been pressing on this whole gospel is that's great. The question is, where are you at with Jesus? Where are you at with the one the Father sent? If you accept Jesus, you receive the Father. If you reject Jesus, you reject God. We have to understand that Jesus is not a powerless pawn in God's great plan. He is God. And on top of that, God the Father has given him and delegated authority to Jesus. We've already seen this in John 3. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He has delegated authority to Jesus and Jesus now or has authority over the world in the same way that light has authority over darkness. Verse 46, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. 
Have you ever noticed that light always beats darkness? It's just what's true. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've had this experience a lot in my lifetime, whether I'm at home or at a hotel, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and it's pitch black and I have no idea where I'm at. Have you ever had that where you're coming out of a dream and you're just super confused and disoriented and it's pitch black and for all you know, you could be in a bunker in Northern Russia. You have no idea where you're at, right? I had, okay, side note, I had one of the most disoriented nights of my life this past year. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, pitch black, and I, my, I was face first on our hardwood floor. And as I was kind of coming to, I felt pain in my face. And, and then I noticed that there was blood coming from my face and pooling onto the ground. So I'm waking up from an unconscious state and this is the reality. And the craziest part of all of it is I wasn't on the floor next to my side of the bed. I was on the side of the floor next to like Casey's side of the bed. And, and you go, how in the world did that happen? And I go, I have no idea. To this day, I have no idea. Casey is convinced that I like rolled over top of her and fell into the ground. I am personally convinced that I, I got up out of bed and just walked over to Casey's side of the bed and did like a swan dive, face dive into her nightstand. I don't know how else I can explain the amount of trauma that was on my face. Uh, it is on the tops of my list now of questions I have for Jesus when I get to heaven. <laughs> what, what in the world happened that night? But okay, so imagine, imagine you wake up in the disoriented state, maybe less blood, but it's, it's pitch black and you're like, what in the world? So you grab your flashlight or your, it's 2021, you grab your phone, right? And you turn on your flashlight app and you click it on. Could you imagine if you clicked it on and you went, oh no, it's too dark in here for my flashlight. That, that doesn't even make sense to us, right? You go, well, no, as long as the flashlight works, you are going to be able to see things. The light always pierces through. The light always overcomes darkness. Light has authority over darkness. And in the same way, the sun has authority over this dark world. It wasn't always dark, dark. Genesis 1 and 2, it was full of light, perfect harmony. But then Adam and Eve sinned. And we saw darkness enter the world as sin entered the world. But the great news of the gospel is that light has broken into our world of sin and darkness. Let's go all the way back to John chapter one. In the beginning was the word Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God. Again, Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Colossians 1. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Darkness bows to the authority of Jesus, which we go, that's awesome. But I also say that there is ripple effects to that reality. This means that we give our undivided allegiance to Jesus full submission to his authority. This is why we say things like Jesus is not just savior of your life. He is also king or Lord of your life. And I want to slow down here and unpack authority a bit. Uh, it will impact the rest of this passage. And I want to unpack it because we as humans today, we just don't like authority. We don't, we don't like to submit to authority. It happens at a very young age. 
parents, you probably see this with your kids. If you just got commissioned and this is your first child, you will see this coming. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I defied my parents' authority one time. I remember I was so mad at them, I grabbed my bag. I didn't even put anything in it, but I just grabbed it and started walking down the street. And I'm sure my parents looked out the window going, where is he going? (laughs) He'll be back soon. And I got halfway down the street and I go, I don't know what I'm doing. And I came back, but it was an expression of my defiance against my parents' authority. And we see that in kids, but I would argue, and I think you guys would agree, this continues on the rest of our life. We, We press against authority. We do not like it, but Jesus here is calling for our full allegiance, full surrender, lay down our lives and submit to him. We are born into darkness and into sin and Jesus is calling us to step into his light and that looks like submitting to his authority. But a lot of people are opposed to this because that, that transition from darkness into light can be a tough one, can it? We don't like that. If you're in a dark room and you're used to the darkness and somebody pulls open the shades and the light comes screaming in, that's a tough transition. And I think a lot of people in our world today are so used to darkness that they don't want to step into the light. I think this is why many oppose Christianity and ultimately the person of Jesus. But there is an invitation here in verse 46 to step into the light, to believe in Jesus and submit to him. And if that's you this morning where you have not yet done that, I pray you would step into the light of Jesus Christ. I think that verse 46 ultimately is pointing to those of you who have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus. But I also say, and believe that uh, I think verse 46 has very much implications for us as believers. Unfortunately, many who follow Jesus and have stepped into marvelous light still act like they are living in darkness or at least like to hide in the corners. We know we've been justified as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We have been made righteous by the righteousness of Christ, clothed, clothed in Christ's righteousness. And when God sees us, he sees us as perfect. But sometimes at the end of the day, because he has not come back yet, we battle our flesh and this tension stays. But we, Christian, have been given the Holy Spirit. So we need to have a categorically different view of sin. Sin is not something that we celebrate or we practice. We do not seek to cultivate sin. We seek to kill sin. Our goal, Christian, is to put everything into the light so that it could be killed. It's a little bit like if you're in a cabin and you turn a flashlight in the corner and you saw a bunch of cockroaches and you immediately started to like stomp them out. That should be a picture of our sin, constantly putting things into the light so that it will be killed. Because we know that evil happens in dark. We know that mold grows in dark. We know that bad things happen in dark alleys. When we're tempted to, to conceal sin and keep it into the dark, that is very much a temptation, but our call is to keep everything in the light. Jesus has come so that every believer would not remain in darkness, verse 46. So Jesus has been given authority, like light has authority over the darkness, but there is more. The Father has also given the Son the authority to judge the world. Verse 47. If anyone hears my word and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I've spoken will judge him on the last day. 
Now you might read that and have a question where you go, you said Jesus is judge, but he just said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And I said, absolutely. And the Bible is not contradicting itself. Verse 47 is talking about when Jesus came the first time, his first advent. He came to save, not to judge. He went to the cross on our behalf. That was his mission when he came to bring salvation. But make no mistake, verse 48 is also present. There is a day on that last day when Jesus will come back to judge the world. And I have to be abundantly clear here. When the Bible talks about judgment, it is absolutely talking about eternity underneath the fire of God's wrath in a place the Bible calls hell. And John has already told us the one who will execute this judgment is the person of Jesus Christ. John 5, the father in fact judges no one but has given all judgment to the son so that all people may honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So although Jesus did come to save, we are left with an option to accept or reject Jesus. But to reject Jesus is to walk the path towards judgment. It's interesting when it comes to the person of Jesus, when it comes to this aspect of him, we get pretty uncomfortable. You see, I think a lot of people really like the idea of Jesus coming to save. They love the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. It's very attractional. And I would say it should be attractional. It's, it should be what drives us to the person of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. I do believe people have a much harder time with the judgment and the wrath of Jesus. What do you say? Do you believe that our God is a God of judgment? J.I. Packer in his famous book, Knowing God, says it this way. He answers that question. Many, it seems, do not. Speak to them of God as a father, a friend, a helper, one who loves us despite all our weaknesses and folly and sin and their faces light up, which all of that is true. You are on their wavelength at one, but speak to them of God as judge. And they frown and shake their heads. Their minds recoil from such an idea. They find it repellent and unworthy to an age which has unashamedly sold itself to the gods of greed, pride, sex, and self-will, the church mumbles on about God's kindness, but says virtually nothing about his judgment. People struggle with this, so they don't talk about it. But we don't skip over verses of the Bible here at Candeo, do we? We talk about these things. But how would you answer that question? How can a God of love also be a God of wrath? That's a fair question. How would you answer that? How can a God of love also be a God of wrath? I really appreciate um, how Matt Chandler unpacks this. He says this, love without wrath isn't love. Love without wrath isn't love. And I'll prove it. Parents, what would your response be if someone began to harm your child. We have parent commissioning this morning. The thought of the, like in, that parent, in those parents' mind of that even happening, like churns the stomach. Or college students, do you have a younger brother or sister? 
What would your response be if you saw somebody physically or emotionally harming them? Husbands, if someone broke into your house tonight and started to hurt your wife, what would your response be? Would you step back and let the attacker do whatever they want? My guess is probably not, <laughs> right? My guess actually, husbands, if we're being honest, is we've actually already, we've already thought about this. If you're anything like me, you've already, like, you lay in bed at night. If someone breaks through that door, what would I do? I'd go this way. That, like, you've already thought about it. Now, I've got to, I got to say here, you got to add the asterisk, right? I am not promoting violence or anything like that. For those of you that know me, I am a lover, not a fighter. All I'm saying is if someone broke into my house and started to hurt and abuse Casey, I would flip a switch. And that person would experience likely every ounce of wrath that would be, I would be able to produce in that moment. Why? Because I love my wife intensely. You could say, oh, it's loving to like step back and let the attacker do whatever they want. I would say, sure, but it's not loving to my wife. Now I get that. Okay, this example, let's just call it what it is. That's an extreme example. And also we are humans. So um, when we try to incur our wrath and judgment on people, sin typically get, gets mixed into that. Whereas you have a God who is perfect and holy. But we begin to empathize with the concept, right? God's attributes here are not in conflict. Wrath and judgment are an expression of God's love. Hear me. It's not love if you do not use your power to defend and to judge. I think we can agree on that one. It's not love if you do not use your power to defend and to judge. God, our heavenly father, loves his children infinitely, perfectly, and intensely. And his children are being sinned against, harmed, and even killed all the time today. I just read an article, January 2020, 260 million Christians worldwide are being persecuted. It is up 6% from the year prior. Open Doors said this, Christians remain one of the most persecuted religion, religious groups in the world. While persecution of Christians takes many forms, it is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Christ. Christians throughout the world continue to risk imprisonment loss of home and assets, torture, rape, and even death as a result of their faith. Again, extreme example. I want you to see this biblical principle so clearly though. We have a heavenly perfect father whose children are being tortured and killed. What do you think his response is going to be? If God didn't respond to that evil, he wouldn't be perfect. If God was indifferent, he wouldn't be a loving father. If God did not judge the sins of this world, he doesn't actually love us. But it is exactly because God loves us perfectly, in, intensely, and infinitely that he will judge this world. Judgment, perfect judgment is an expression of God's love. Love without wrath is not love. But unfortunately, again, people pass over this doctrine because they are uncomfortable with it. And I am just saying this morning, that is a very dangerous place to be because the Bible is so clear. Now, as we talk about the wrath of God on guilty sinners, it begs the question, how is it that any of us have a hope 
against a perfect, all-powerful God and his wrath. And I would say it is because for those who are in Christ, judgment has already been executed. Verse 47, let's read it again. If anyone hears my word and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Listen to me, Jesus in his first coming did not come to judge, condemn, and inflict penalty on the world. When Jesus came, he came to bear judgment, to bear our condemnation and to bear our penalty on that cross for us. This is the mission Jesus was sent on by the Father. The cross was God's wrath poured out for sinners like you and me. Judgment was executed at Calvary. And this is great news for us because whether you like it or not, we deserve the infinite wrath of a holy God. What's interesting is I think we as humanity are okay with the idea of judgment as long as it's like them over there. So we hear the, the stats about the Christians being persecuted and we go, yes, absolutely. Those people need to be punished and judged for what they're doing for Christ, to, to Christians. I think when it comes though to sin and judgment falling on our own shoulders, we don't like that idea as much. We don't like the idea of wrath on us for our sin, for our selfishness, for our pride and for our greed. But the reality is we have a perfectly holy God and we are guilty sinners and somebody needs to be punished for our sin. And the question before every single one of us in this room is, who is going to be punished for your sin? And the beautiful news of the gospel is that Jesus took the wrath for all of those who would believe in him. The only thing that stands in the way of the fire of God's wrath and guilty sinners like you and me is a bloody cross. All our wealth is in that cross. This theology, I believe, should make us fall in love with Jesus. Think about this. When people get authority, like Jesus got authority, we see a lot of people today use that authority to lift their name high and to push other people down, but not our Jesus. Our Jesus received all authority in heaven and on earth, and he used it for the good of his church. Jesus did not come to oppress with his authority. He came to invite. The gospel message has two very clear categories, warning, invitation. In this passage, we see a very clear warning on the judgment of Jesus Christ. But I really do believe that this passage in nature in general is actually very positive and is ultimately an invitation into eternal life and a better life with the person of Jesus Christ. If you want a summary of everything we've talked about so far in the book of John, I'll give you a verse. Go back to John 3, 36. The one who believes in the son has eternal life. There's the invitation. Believe in Jesus and have eternal life. But the one who rejects the son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him and he or she remains in darkness. Chapter 12 is a summary of everything Jesus has said in his public ministry. 
and Jesus is one last time giving the invitation of eternal life. I know that his, the Father's command is eternal life. The question is, will you accept the invitation? Will you accept the light of the world into your life and submit to his authority? Although the gospel is infinitely deeper and wider than we can ever imagine. We will learn more and more about the gospel and the holiness of God and the, the sinfulness of humanity and the greatness of the cross every day of our life. At the same time, the beauty of the gospel is how simple it is. Believe in Jesus and receive eternal life or reject Jesus and remain in darkness remain in death. A day of judgment, it is coming, but Jesus has not come back yet. So the invitation lies in front of all of us. An invitation from a God who loves you more than you will ever know. And believer, for those who are in Christ, as we wrap up chapter 12 in this big chunk of John in Jesus's public ministry, my prayer for us is that we would be a thankful people, thankful for the cross, where Jesus took on the wrath of everything you and I deserved in our place. Jesus, we are eternally grateful for what you've done for us. There, there is a clear, clear warning in this passage for us. Judgment is a very real thing that we cannot lightly skip over. But this isn't a scare tactic, Jesus. This is, this is an opportunity and an invitation to a better eternal life with you forever. And I pray that we would see that, that we would see the warning, that we would warn others, that we would love others enough to say, judgment is coming. But at the same time, point to the path that is full of light, full of life for eternity and points us back to the rugged cross. Jesus, we are grateful for what you've done for us. And it is true, all of our wealth is ultimately found in the cross where between a God of wrath and guilty sinners stood a bloody cross. And so Jesus, we worship you this morning for what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.